to Make That Paper, the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to finance our quarantine garden renovations. Yeah, or backyard parks. We're talking about that business development gig or the admin assistant situation. And let's not forget the old oil slick sleuthing assignment. Mm. We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And on this episode, we are talking to the Anthony Award, Lefty Award, and ITW Award nominated author of They All Fall Down. Her critically acclaimed Lou Norton series follows one of The Guardian's top 10 female detectives in fiction. Her book, Trail of Echoes, received a coveted Kirkus star and was one of the Kirkus Review's books that kept us up all night. She is currently on the board of directors for the Southern California chapter of Mystery Writers of America and was a Pitch Wars mentor for 2020. We couldn't be more honored or more thrilled to welcome to the show this woman who is one of my heroes and role models, the superlative Rachel Housel Hall. Yes! Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. We're super excited. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Thank you for thank you for inviting me. This is going to be cool. I'm excited. I I feel like it's already cool. Well, I feel like everybody always asks you about your books and your incredibly dynamic and like just really invested characters. Like we relate to your protagonist, no matter who you are. When you read one of your books, we're like, oh yeah, that's me. Um, But nobody (laughs) has asked you, what's the deal with Exxon? And the Exxon Valdez. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> what? You know, I just, it feels like, like you, you wrote it down and I'm like, hey, that's what? like saying you had a summer internship at Enron. Like, that I was wanna... you. <laughs> <laughs> you had an internship at Enron. It was the most wonderful, bizarre, well-paid. So I went to UC Santa Cruz for mm-hmm. four years, which if you don't know UC Santa Cruz, it's a wonderful place that's trapped in the 1960s, very, very, very progressive and, you know, very much into the environment and all that stuff way before it became like trendy. Mm. So I'm, you know, bred to be socially aware or whatever. But then in 1992, I graduated from college and I was looking for a job. And there's this agency that would place legal assistants and paralegals. And I interviewed and they placed me at ARCO to be a paralegal for discovery and discovery is when you sit and this is back in 1992. So really no computers, you (laughs) sit and you read a lot and you highlight keywords and you put them into like this very primitive database. And so I worked on the Exxon Valdez case where I sat and read, uh, every article about, uh, oil spills and penguins and caribou and all because they're trying to figure out, you know, how much money they were going to have to pay for the big Exxon Valdez spill. So here I am, you know, working for the evil oil company that just destroyed, you know, all of Alaska, but they paid really well. In 1992, I was making like 13, $14 an hour in 1992 and I'm 22 years old. Yeah. And they pay every Friday. And so, you know, being 22 years old, getting paid every Friday, what does a girl do? She goes shopping. So I had a lot of, a lot of cheap ass shoes. Um, <laughs> but also there were lots of like hot attorneys around. So I, I, it was a wonderful gig. It was and the time I of was... Allie McBeal, right? Were you wearing short yes. skirts and tight little tailored jackets? I was fly. Yeah. I was fly. I look at my pictures. My, one time my daughter's like, 
is that Auntie Gretchen? Meaning my sister. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, that's me. That's like, awesome. That's me. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I, I actually just threw away or gave to goodwill a few of my things that I thought I was ever going to get back into, like my size twos and fours. It's like, yeah, that time has passed. But yes, I look back on that time with fondness where I had all this cash, you know, lived, I lived downtown Los Angeles, fly with all these cheap nine West shoes. It was a great time. Awesome. And, and, you know, my, my job was reading. You know, no matter what I was reading for, I got to read all day and learn about things that I would have never thought about, like silt and, you know, caribou and overpasses and right. all kind of bizarre things. So that was, you know, and I I had to um, write everything because, you know, we didn't really use computers back then. And so my handwriting, which was already nice, it improved tremendously and you know, it just once again kind of reaffirmed my love of writing things. You know, I, I write my first drafts right. in um, in longhand. I was just going to tell so, her, and she writes all her first draft of books in longhand. Yeah. Which is yes, crazy, yes, yes. but it smart. Crazy. I think it's smart. Let me ask you really quick, and then I'm going to go back and ask you another question about that. But do you then dictate into the computer you no. then type it word for word. I, I type it word from word. And, you know, sometimes I edit as I go. You know, I try yeah. and clean it up. But I save the editing for true editing time. Yeah. This is strictly, yeah, uh, putting it into the computer as is and putting the underlines when I don't know what, you know, her name is or what this plot point is. But I, I feel more engaged for my day job which I, you know, I'm a writer for my day job. I can easily type into a draft right into the computer. It's no problem for me, but for novels, I can't, it's, it's so hard. It's yeah. difficult and it, this works. So, yeah. you know, us writers were very superstitious and why mess with something that is actually working? So yeah. And yeah. you've been doing it for yeah. so long. Like why change now? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. very long. <laughs> which is something that i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you about later on about that first book um mm-hmm. releasing uh around 9-11 like yeah that's the like first anniversary of 9-11 jesus yeah, yeah. it's Thank like people you. with their books coming out during this pandemic it was like oh I know. oh okay wow you, we should care about anything you write and right. you know my book was about a a, a, a black religious family in Los Angeles, which is the furthest thing you can, you know, write from New York terrorism, 9-11, you know, buildings, you know, so. And also not escapist. And not escapist, right. It dealt with mental illness. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a fun time. Was it's, a fun what's time. interesting to me, though, is when something happens and three months after it happens, well, I know that on the anniversary of 9-11, like all these big books came out. Um, yeah. But before that, like three months after things happen, books on the subject matter start releasing and you're like, yeah. how did you do that how in three months? Mm-hmm. What's happening? How did you do that? Yeah. It's literally yeah. still being written as it's being printed. <laughs> it's on the press <laughs> and they're making edits. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You uh, so yeah. just to jump from from all the way back then to all the way now because you mentioned you know your current day job, um, mm-hmm. and I always find that fascinating when yeah. somebody who is as you know as engaged and and successful as you are that mm-hmm. you're continuing to do that 
day job alongside your career. Um, And do you, so the first part of my question is, do you consider both to be your career? Yeah, I do actually. um, Because one, my day job, which we should, we should say what your day job is. (laughs) Oh, so I am a fun, uh, I'm a fundraising writer for Cedar sinai Medical Center. Big, if you don't know it, big medical center out here in Los Angeles. And I work in fundraising. So I write reports and proposals and I ghostwrite acknowledgement letters and all kinds of communications. If it, you know, requires words and I'm writing it. And you could probably imagine last year at this time, what Mm. I was doing. You know, it was a lot of COVID-19 communications um, from trying to explain to our donors and constituents what's going on to please help us, you know, fund some research and get PPE and train nurses and all wow. kinds of things. So, yeah, I was I was exhausted last year. Just time. I'm sure. I mean, just thinking about it, I'm like, you know, and you twitching. had a, you had a huge book come out. Yeah. Yeah. That's like <laughs> that. It's like that, and you know, I I sold some books. I sold two books, and I have a teenage daughter who last year was going through a lot from you know, a pandemic, to missing her friends, to you know, a, a suicide of one of her friends, to oh to the uprisings. You know, it's like every situation that we could possibly that I need words for to yeah. explain to her happened last year. So yeah, it was exhausting, but getting back to the question, yes, that is my, that I consider that my career because it pays for private school. It pays for, helps pay for vacations. We've, you know, we, we, my husband's in entertainment and we're very much aware that the marketing budget for entertainment is usually the first to go. And mm-hmm. we've been married for 25 years and in that, we, he's been late all three times. And so we're, you know, we are very much, uh, we squirrel away mm-hmm. because it can happen at any time. And with aging parents on top of that, I, I, I would like to keep every income source yeah. that's, that's open. And also, I, I like lending my talents to good things. And my career has, after, you know, working for, Arco, um, I worked for almost 10 years at the ACLU and then City of Hope, which is a national cancer center. And so I try and if I'm going to work a full time job, I want it to do good. I want to wake up and say, yeah, actually, I am helping or trying to find a cure for cancer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't mind it so much. You know, it's exhausting. Because it is work and it is challenging and it's creative, but it's 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 good stuff. Um, I'm a, sur- a cancer survivor, and so I'm very much aware of, you know, how how much money it takes to just move one uh, one piece of film of imaging to me in the clinic. You know, so I'm I'm very aware as a as a as a patient just how important everything doctors do. So. Yeah, anything to kind of help with that. And also, it builds my own writing muscle. Um, I can write on a dime because in my day job, that's what I'm paid to do. I don't get to say, I'm not feeling it today. I don't want to do it or I'm too tired. 
I get paid to write. So I need to get up and do it and make circles on the page until something comes. So it's good for me that I, you know, I've, I've, I've built that muscle and I do consider my novel writing a career too, because I do get up at 4.45 every morning and I write for an hour and a half and it's mentally exhausting. And the IRS expects me to pay taxes on it. So if I'm paying right. taxes on it, hell yeah, this is my job. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. 100%. And, and yeah. And again, it is it is taxing because, you know, I, I'm using my, yes, my imagination, something you can't see, but I'm doing a lot of research and I'm traveling places and I'm doing interviews and writing articles and going to conferences and continuing to learn things. So, yeah, it's it may not be a, you know an LLC with three other people, you know, in in my cubicle working with me, but it is definitely um, a career and a job. Right. So yeah. we have a lot of listeners that aren't in entertainment. Um, which I think is fascinating and I love that. So again, we, for everybody listening, you know, um, the thing is, this is a prolific author who has made a successful career with traditional publishing, who's maintained a corporate job as well. Because again, in, in entertainment and the arts, you never know when something's going to sell if it's going to sell, how much you'll be making. There's not a constant there. So, you if know, a pandemic comes and shuts everything shuts down, everything right? down. Yeah. You never know. So having, you know, a lot of artists, like many artists we've had on before, um, they maintain their day jobs, even though, you yeah. know, you see them on your TV five nights a week, they're still right. working in HR. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. And, you know, I also like, like going to the grocery store and getting, great cheese right you know and 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 with um my money if there's leftover for royalties then we'll we just finish painting uh, parts of our house yeah and buying wood and if you've ever owned anything you know you go to home depot how many times for just one product so it pays for things like that it it enhances life it's not enough to you know go out and buy that lambo but it's right. definitely nice enough that I can afford a, a wedge of Parmesan cheese. Yeah. Which, you know. Which is the Lambo of cheeses. <laughs> it is the Lambo of cheeses. <laughs> hey there, friends. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, take a second to subscribe to the show. Give us a rating and write a short review. For me, it's it's the new it's the new skincare that Trader Joe's comes out with monthly. Yeah. I'm a, I want that money for anything Trader Joe's comes out with monthly. Yeah. Like, look at that shelf. I need one of everything. Yeah. It's like, oh, my drunken elephant project uh, product. Right. That, that, yes, that exactly. Uh-huh. Are you using the vitamin C? Yes, exactly. Yes, I do. I do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, the hell I do because I get up at 4:45 every morning. If mm-hmm. I want drunken elephant, I will get drunken elephant. Yes. So, and yeah. you deserve drunken element elephant if only for waking up at 4:45. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So. You started out of college as a paralegal, but I know, because again, I do my homework and my research and I'm a super fan, um, that you have a degree in English. So how did you end up in a paralegal position when you graduated? Just because, and for all those parents out there who have college age kids and you're fretting because your kid's like, 
yeah, I want to major in English American literature, which is what I majored in. Yeah. Don't worry because not everyone knows how to write and writing is one of, you know, I would say even before math is probably the most important thing. We will always continue to communicate and we'll need clear communications now until the end of time. And because I knew how to write my, you know, I could pretty much do anything. I actually wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to teach high school English, but I could not pass the CBEST test, the, you know, for, to become a teacher, to get your license because of the math. Wow. And so yeah. I'm like, okay, I obviously can't add well enough to teach English. What else can I do? And I saw the ad back in the, back in the day, it was actually in the classifieds, the hard classifieds of the LA Times that they were looking, this uh, Gibson Arnold and Associates was looking for um, English majors to do discovery for a big corporation. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So Exxon Valdez, do you say Valdez or Valdez? I'm an, Valdez. I'm a Valdez man. It's Valdez. Yeah. yeah. It was Valdez. Okay. Uh-huh. So Exxon. So who did you work with? Like, who were these people? How did you interact with these lawyers? They just, I mean, the case was what? 100 years long. Yeah. So it was all the time that I was there, they were just preparing for the actual case. That's crazy. I was there from 92 to 94 and it was all discovery. It was all just ramping up. The event happened in the late 80s, am I right? Yeah. 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 And so by the time I got there, yeah, they were just still figuring out, well, if we killed caribou, did, did we do it or did the oil do it? Uh, you Maybe know, they and, drowned in Dawn dish soap. I mean, it's crazy. Exa- exactly. So I had to read to see, you know, just how much oil can a, you know, caribou take, I guess. That so, is- yeah, it was all. How much oil can a caribou you- take? That's the quote for this episode. <laughs> how much oil? <laughs> a lot of oil, they're big. They're really big. Yeah. The oil to soap ratio on a given caribou. Yeah. Yeah. It it surpasses that of a duck, which Mm -hmm. were also dead from, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was it was interesting. Um, You know, it it but it I was glad that it ended because it ended or you left. Well, I left, they were ramping, they, they ramped up and then they started, you know, saying, okay, this is about to end soon because we're about to go into the next phase and we need actually true, true paralegals with paralegal certificates rather than English majors who can, you know, read and stuff. So that's when it's like, oh, now it's time for me to look for something else to do. And that's when I got my, my first real, real, real job. And that was at Penn Center USA West, which is um, related to Penn American Center um, in New York. And for listeners who don't know, it's basically like Amnesty International, but for writers, um, for uh, First Amendment stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly for for writers. I imagine they're active right now in... Um, in, um, in Myanmar? In Myanmar. There. Yes, they probably are. Um, I know that a lot especially of... if their writers are, yeah. That's exactly that's who's exactly, being jailed right now. And Penn would be involved in um, 
one, calling attention to those cases and helping those uh, writers uh, get free. Wow. Um, so, yeah, again, great work. And That's in your where, field, in your field uh, of and, one, you're an advocate, obviously, yeah. and then two, a writer. So you're doing, marrying those two and things. That was my first time actually being around, around working writers, regular people who wrote, um, especially black writers who wrote mystery. There's um, Gary Phillips, who's a great crime folk fiction novel novelist. And that's where I met him. And it's like, Oh, you're doing this. Okay. I guess I can do it too. Uh, BB Moore Campbell, um, who passed several years ago, she was, uh, a member, um, just so many, Kit Rackless, who was the editor of Los Angeles Magazine, Carolyn C., uh, all these incredible, especially L.A.-based writers I got to meet. That's and awesome. It inspired me because it wasn't, be, becoming a writer wasn't this far-off dream. It was not this impossible thing that only people on the East Coast did. Yeah. We did it, too, out here. And Black folks also did it, too, out here. And, you know, I got, those were my first fancy parties that I got. I was working, you know, of course I was staff, but you know, my first chicken dinner uh, programs with, with being a, a host for a star kind of thing. So it was pretty exciting. I yeah. love that job actually. Now were um, you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but were you uh-huh. at this point, were you already actively, um, I don't know, I don't want to say pursuing writing, but were you writing your own creative material i was trying i um just land gotten uh, accepted into the master's program mfa program at cal state long beach mm-hmm. no cal state la and it was awesome i was gonna maybe you know write my novel and maybe become a professor and i was doing this thing and still working and then i uh, my husband and i we used to go to high school together we weren't you know boyfriend girlfriend we were friends but that's at the same time that's when I met him or we met him and all of a sudden being in school again just didn't feel like necessary it was taking time and I wanted to spend time with him and so I have like six six months worth of my MFA (laughs) Um, so I forgot what your question was but uh, Uh, if you were yeah this was yes I was actively um, trying to become a novelist at this time um, writing very bad things mm-hmm. <laughs> because I didn't really know how to do that, but aware that this was something I wanted to do. And this environment was a way to kind of start actively working towards that because now I'm reading all of Carolyn C's work. I'm talking about writing all the time. So yeah, it kind of lit a fire in me. That's great. Yeah. How long yeah. were you there? Because I know that, um, wait, wait a second. That was after you were um, an executive assistant for one week at the WB. Gosh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Wait a second. So, no, no, no. That was, uh, WB was, I was 30. I had just turned 30. So Penn was from, I was 25, 24 to yeah 24 to about 28 and then I left there and went to uh, UCLA the Alumni Association and when I turned 30 
that's when it's like, what do I want to do in my life? And, you know, by this time, you know, my husband's at Universal and I'm like, oh, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to, I want to do that kind of writing. And so everyone's saying, you know, if you want to write for TV, you start out as an executive assistant. So I got a job at the WB as an executive assistant. And she makes it sound easy. Like she just got the job. I don't remember how I landed that. I really, you I don't hustle. I did that. Those jobs yeah, are hard to come by. You yeah, hustled. They, yeah, I did. And so it was a week long because <laughs> I found myself not wanting to get people's dry cleaning. Yep. And yep. I found myself in a meeting where they were trying to figure out how to get kids to watch more TV. And I love TV. I mm-hmm. actually love TV. Yeah. But I'm a writer and I actually want kids to read more. And I'm in this meeting and they're like, well, how can we get them to watch more TV? And I'm oh like, this God. is not the place for me. And then uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss called mm-hmm. once. And I didn't realize it was Gene Simmons from Kiss. It was just Gene Simmons. And I, I guess I didn't bow down enough over the phone enough for him. And he did the, don't you know who I am kind of thing? And uh-huh. I'm like, no. Dude, you're not here or wearing black and white makeup. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you scared me back in the day when you would like guest star on Chips. I would hate those episodes where. Yeah. But it was pretty cool when he guest starred on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> They scared me. They were the devil. They scared me. Yeah. They scare so, me now. They scare me now. Yeah. So, you know, being, you know, verbally tongue lapped. Oh, a tongue lapped. Yes, you went there. She did it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. By him and then the TV thing. I like it was a Thursday and of this first week that I'm there. And I go to my my car and I'm crying in the car and I call my husband. And I hate it here. I hate it so much. And he's like, quit. I'm like, quit. Can I do that? He's like, yeah, quit. And so at the end of the day, I wrote my, uh, I wrote my resignation letter and got my apple and yogurt from the, from the kitchen. So you got to do some writing. Yeah. And and I left and I never went back. And that's when I found a job um, at the ACLU. That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I did the same but, thing. I was I was at the uh-huh. NBC News Detroit, and um, you know I went to to school and studied journalism and theater. And all I wanted to do was write funny shit. Like I just wanted to uh-huh. write comedy, any kind of comedy. And yet I was working at the news, and it was horrible. And I had to get go in at fourth. Be- usually 5 a.m., but I think I got up at like 4.15 and just do grunt work, you know, and it was so horrible. I would get up, I would throw up, and then I would go, and I lasted a week, and my dad was like, quit. You're 22. Quit your job. And I was like, you can do that? I can do that. We're in Michigan. Michigan people don't quit jobs. We stay at them for 50 dogged years. We're like, we don't quit things. Same thing Mm -hmm. here. It's like, you know, our fathers worked at that same job for 138 years and Mm -hmm. they don't quit. I don't even, they just get more jobs, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But in between, oh, in between Arco and Penn, there was another job that I had and you have that down too. It was for um, BRE Magazine. Yes. Yes, We wanted to talk about this. So this is a magazine, not radio it's, no yeah it was a trade magazine okay, you know, okay. Trade, yeah 
And, you know, once again, in my quest to become a writer, there was this job and I did get to write. I mean, I have my clips and everything. I got to write articles. I did concert reviews, which was really cool. I, yeah. you know, got to see a lot of things at the world turn. And that Sweet. was awesome. Uh, the two big problems though, were one, um, when you're at a trade magazine and you're doing charts, you know, the hits, yeah. number one singles, you have to wait for all that information to come from the different radio stations. And that would mean being up until midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, waiting for the data to come in. Yeah. And I hated that. I hated that with all my heart, just sitting and waiting. Oh, Again, pre-internet. Yeah, pre-internet. Yeah. So you're waiting for a phone call. Right. And, mm. and someone to read this stuff to you on the phone. Right. So there was that thing, that part. And then also, you know, almost every check they paid, they, they gave me bounced. Yep. What? So, yeah. I would go to the bank. We were state, we were in the, um, across the street from the Roosevelt hotel in Hollywood mm -hmm. uh, and in, in that building. And there was a bank and I go into the bank to cash a check because it was right there. And they're like, yeah, there's no money. <laughs> there's no money in this account. And I'm like, I, I worked my ass off and stayed up. And what do you mean? What? I, I'm coming from Arco where they're kind of just throwing money, you know, everywhere. Every Friday. Yeah. yeah. Every Friday. And now y'all can't pay me. What? Yeah. That but happened to me. That happened mm -hmm. to me with a TV show. So I was, I got cast in a TV show where I'd be writing. It was called Bookbeat. I was interviewing authors with upcoming releases and mm -hmm. They had, it was an after show, it was before SAG after it merged. And I did my first interview, we had to drive down to Seal Beach to meet the author, meet with her. I read her book. I shouldn't say her name. The book is great. Um, and she was very lovely. The book, I'm just gonna say it, the book was Grayson. Um, it's a great book. She's wonderful. But anyways, the guy stole like $3 million from Paramount I think it was. Mm -hmm. Anyways, it was. I blacked out so much of it. Our all our checks bounced, and the the bank froze my <laughs> account. And I was like, "It's like a bankrolled check." I was like, "It went through my agent and everything." And I was like, "Oh my god!" I had to go to the bank and explain, like, "I'm I I'm just I'm I'm nobody. Like, I need to pay yeah. my rent. Like, what can we do about this?" And they they're really good about it. They believed me, but I had to talk to like the police. I was like, "Oh my <laughs> god! I just got hired. I just want to go." home and then i had to like tuck my tail between my legs and go back to my corporate nestle job and beg for my job back oh because i was like um i i need my job back please and they were like yeah. okay okay yeah i've heard this story a few times but this is the first time something actually just connected for me is that paramount actually put in three million dollars into a show about books yeah <laughs> and the fact that this man like cashed it took off and left the country and then it was like all over, you guys, it was all over the internet. You'll still find some things on the internet about it. There was three of us, like there was three, there were three people, three actors, you know, like journalist style actors, like um, hosts. And uh, he had a makeup artist team. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was like a full production y'all. And he took off out of the country. But anyways, so there was 
all these authors and like people were suing him and like writing these reports on the web to like on Reddit and stuff. And you can find a little bit on Reddit still because Reddit refuses to scrub it. He tried suing everybody, calling everybody um, liars and, uh, you know, it was like libel and like, you know, cease and desist letters to everyone. I never said anything, but I got called by several people to give my statement. Anyways, I was terrified of him. Anyways. Um, you can still find him. I won't say his name, but you can look up BookBeat and it will come up on Reddit. And he <laughs> he scammed. It's so sad. He, wow. This was his third scam. He was able to get millions from people so many times from huge companies, millions yeah. of dollars, and then go overseas and then wow. not get prosecuted. He only spent nine months in jail, you guys. Like wow. white wow. men in this country can yeah. get away with a lot of stuff. With everything. I shouldn't say that, but I got to tell you. It's, it's true. It's, it's a fact. It's, it's a true. Fact. And, and keep the money. Yeah. And keep the money. And keep the money. Yeah. No, it, 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 I think I stayed with BRE maybe six, seven months before I found. That's the, a lot of bounced checks. Yeah. Before I found the, maybe, was it that long? It had to be that long. Yeah, I think it was around that long, about six months. Did you get any money? I did. I mean, they eventually paid, but after the fact that, you know, the check bounced. So it was this constant holding your breath to see, is am I going to get paid today? It was was like a regular don't cash it till Wednesday type situation. Exactly. But, you know, the concerts were cool. I had an opportunity, but I passed because I knew better. Uh, to interview, this was when um, Notorious B.I.G. just about to hit, and he was at the Roosevelt, and he and Puffy had hotel rooms, and my editor's like, hey, you want to go up there to interview them? And I'm like, like, with who? And like, no, you go along. It's like, oh, hell no. (laughs) At at 23, I'm like, no, I'm not going into a hotel room with men I don't know. In the music industry, no. And, you know, part of me, you know, I regret not doing it, but the larger part's like, yeah, no, that wouldn't be good. No, that's yeah. smart. I mean, yeah. why are so many shady deals done and interviews done in hotel yeah, rooms? Like, and now we know that there's an issue, but nobody was saying, like, don't yeah. do that, but us? Why can't they come? We have conference rooms. Yeah. yeah. Why can't they or come send here? a chaperone. Or send a chaperone. Yeah. It's like, what is no, wrong? What is wrong? Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. It's like, nah, I'm I'm good. So, but I did get my clips out of that. That's great. And you know, that helped me land um other jobs that yeah. say, yeah, writing required. It's like, ah, I have these, you know, clips here. I have samples. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have samples like that. I was writing for the radio for a while. <laughs> Yeah. But um, my samples are really trashy. They're like, they're like, can you make this trash here? The DJ is going to read it on the air. It's supposed to be, you know, like talk about Miley, like, and you know, the way that we oh, think is, yeah. you know, okay. and I, it, I didn't last long. So it would give me a stomach ache. I got paid on time, but you know, I also <laughs> had to stay up very late for like edits from the East coast. So it, it was supposed oh to be God. eight hours. I was working 14 hours. I ended up, yeah. it was like five bucks an hour at the end of the day. I was yeah. like, this it is, wasn't worth it. it's not worth it. Yeah. Not it's to not mention that the, the overtime was spent dumbing down your drafts. Oh, dumbing it down. They're like, this is too smart. Yeah. This is too smart. Yeah. Is it, you can't <laughs> write the smart. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm trying really hard to write 
smart, but okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wasn't even yeah. trying. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. It's hard. But, you know, all of it led to me going to the ACLU, and I was there for a long time, for um, almost 10 years. Wow. And I was there for Bush v. Gore. Okay. And we were very, very busy as you, and the, the march to the war, the Gulf War, mm -hmm. like all this incredible big, big stuff where you, again, the Dixie Chicks, that whole thing. So, yeah, all the bad, crappy jobs helped me land, you know, pretty good jobs. And yeah, after Penn Center West and that, you know, awful four days at the WB, I've, I've had, I've had pretty good jobs. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. did you leave um, ACLU? Because you're at Cedars now. I, yeah. I was a frontline fundraiser, which means I was the one asking donors for gifts. Yeah. And I absolutely hated it. I yeah. hated asking people for money, but I could write to ask people money. I could write my ass off. I could do letters and proposals. And that's what I wanted to do. I had a chance to, you know, continue on that being a frontline, you know, development officer at the ACLU. But one, I would have to do bigger ask. And two, I was a young mom. Yeah. And I was a young mom who had just, I was, I was pregnant when I had cancer, oh. had breast cancer. And so I was coming out of that whole fog of being pregnant and, and sick. And so I didn't want to spend a lot of my time working mm -hmm. to raise this baby that I fought for, but still doing good stuff. And I'm like, well, I want to stick with mission oriented work, but I want to write. And I found a job as a fundraising writer with City of Hope. And that's awesome. Yeah, it was a great kind of transition to medical writing. Um, and, you know, coming uh, coming from, I was a UCLA patient. I am a UCLA patient. And so I understood uh, City of Hope's mission, you know, uh, cancer cures and treatments and compassionate care and that kind of thing. And I believed in it. And because I experienced it firsthand, you know, I knew how to write persuasively to mm -hmm. others. And so I, I, I loved that job. We were in downtown Los Angeles at the time and it was perfect for me being a, you know, a young mom still getting treated for uh, cancer because I had another scare three years later and I got to be close to my daughter's school and all this kind of thing. And that lasted for, you know, several, several years. And it wasn't until they moved all of the fundraising office to Duarte, yeah. which is where the campus is. And if you don't know, Duarte is like uh, maybe 40 miles from where I lived. So that would have been, that's 80 miles a day. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a hell of a drive in yeah. Los Angeles. And, you know, it's I'm a- past the I, end of the gold mine. Yeah. And I'm a mom. And if you're a parent, you know that you're going to get that call at one o'clock in the day in the, in the afternoon saying, oh, your daughter uh, fell and hurt herself or she's pulling at her ear and you need to come pick her up. Right. And here I am 60 miles away from her. 
I did not like that. I always yeah. tell my husband, you know, if the zombies came, I would want to be able to walk to get my daughter. Yeah. And if I'm that far away, I'd never see her. Yeah. It was, that's just too far from her. And that's why and Jack may so, never go back to in-person school. That's <laughs> <laughs> no. that. I loved it, but I couldn't make that drive anymore. And I had, I had to go. Um, and fortunately I found another, once again, another writing job for, um, for healthcare. It was this time with Pancreatic Cancer Action Network in Manhattan Beach. And that was good work too. Um, also kind of far though. It, Manhattan Beach, yeah. Um, but it wasn't as far as, uh, Duarte. It was well, more, you know, yeah. 405, you get off for me, I, I, I'm by, I'm three miles uh, east of Culver City. It wasn't that That's not far. bad, no. Yeah. Yeah, and she went to school in Westchester. So as soon as, you know, you pass the airport, yeah, it was kind of there. Yeah. So that wasn't too bad. Um, and it was good work. It was more marketing writing. And I, I don't, to all those marketers out there, sorry for what I'm about to say, but I hate marketing. Uh. <laughs> Join the club. I am not. I am not uh, writing for about an institute, an institution for the outside. I'm more. I want to write to donors. I want to write to patients. I want to, you know, that You're kind of one to one. Yeah, that I like that, and I didn't get to do that there really, um, and that's why after two years I left and I found this incredible job at Cedar Sinai, which. I'm hoping I'll be able to just retire from here because where else, I mean, I've worked at all so many of the great places. It's like, what's kind of left? Contentment. Yeah. And they understand me. And, you know, every job I go to, I always say, I'm a novelist. You know this. Sometimes I'll have to disappear for book tour or this thing over there. And usually they're like, Okay. Yeah, we understand. It's yeah. awesome. Thank you. And, you know, I'm blessed to have that. And Cedars is very, um, they're, they're amenable to one, my, my desire to have this part of my life and two, to be a, a mother. You know, I am not expected to work until midnight for what I am not in the operating room. Right. right. I'm writing about what's going on in the operating room, but there's no need for, there's no need for that. And they really try to let you have this, this kind of balance. And I'm all for balance. Um, like I said, my husband's been laid off three times. And so we all, we know that the whole, Oh, work, we're a work family. We're a family. That's bullshit. No, we're not because you will lay him off. You will lay me off. If it, if, if, it, if, if, it's required because yeah. of budget, you don't have to have me around. And so I don't believe you when you say, oh, we're family. Yeah. And so if you're expecting me to like break my back for you, I'm not. Mm -hmm. Because one, I'm 50 years old. I don't break my back anymore. If I'm going to break my back, it's going to be for my family or for my novels. Um, and, and two, yeah, no, that kind of loyalty, you never get it back. It's never reciprocal like that. And so, you know, and I know that firsthand. 
And so, yeah, I, I guess I'm at the point in my career where I'm like, this is who I am. Like a lot of us ladies of a certain age, this is who I am. And if you like it, great. If you don't, kick rocks. I'm going to be over there. Yeah. And drinking my Fiji water. Right. <laughs> I drank an elephant products. So, yeah. yeah. Right. And that's a lot. You know, and I realized that's a luxury. Um, it's an earned luxury, though. It's an earned luxury. I was going to say, but I earned that. Mm-hmm. And I put in the work every day. I, I, I really do. And, you know, yes, novel writing is, is work, but I actually, you know, I love it. Yeah. It's, it's always, writing has always been a part of me. Books have always been in my life and I, I do it and I get paid and I do it and I don't get paid. It's, it just, it just is yeah. for me and my work, my day job life has to um, accept that. If I may, how much, because it's something you said, you said, uh, you know, I write about being in the emergency room. How much of your day job or day jobs finds its way and has found, you know, the various jobs you've done find their way into your writing? Do you find yourself directly influenced or at all? Not really. Not really. Um, if anything, my day job has to- taught me how to make complex ideas very simple. Because when you're writing a proposal about cancer, a lot of the donors don't care about this elegant science that the the researcher is really much into about the mitochondria and the blah, 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 and all these big words you don't understand. They want to know this drug finds the cancer and kills it. That's pretty much it. And, you know, maybe three or four other sentences that kind of break it down Twitter size. My my boss at City of Hope, she's the one, Lynn, she's the one who taught me how to write for um, medicine. She always told me, write, write this as though you're explaining it to your daughter. And back then, my daughter's in third grade. And so that's how, you know, you, and that's how you do it. And that's how I looked at when I started the Lou Norton series, these very complex things about forensics and blah, blah, blah. If you notice, I don't really go into how deep this science is. I'm writing it enough that a third grader can't understand it. And yet I feel smarter reading it. Yeah. I don't feel like you've held anything back from me. I feel like I'm right there with Lou. And you are smarter (laughs) because I don't see what's so exciting about, um, making things inaccessible to people. Yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons why Stephen King is like my writing hero and why he's finally been recognized, you know, by several years back by the National Book Association or whatever that, the NBA, whatever that was. Um, because there's this thing where you have to use these big words and these, these this huge vocabulary to make yourself sound smart and for me it's like well that keeps people away i want to bring people in i want i want them to actually read and understand my story and if that means not going into great detail about the forensics then i won't and while i'm interested in it i don't want to read page after page of what this does and how this will shine and blah 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 i'll give you enough so that you get an idea and that you're intrigued by it and if you want to learn more you have enough to go off and learn by yourself, but I'm not, 
I don't want people to think I'm trying to be smart and to show them everything I know. Yeah. I want that to come through in my story and the plot and the people that I create on page. Yeah. So yes, my day job taught me how to get in and get out and to explain it so that a third grader basically can understand it. I love that. It's a great takeaway actually. Because so many, I mean, beyond health benefits (laughs) and money, you know, so many of us, so many day jobs I've worked I Mm -hmm. just find that, um, you know, it's a completely separate thing. And, you know, while I'm learning on, on a given job, you know, right now, I, you know, I'll talk about my human resources job. I was Mm -hmm. learning a ton and, and, and working hard, but couldn't figure out a way to apply anything to my creative work. And therefore I was just expelling energy in two different directions. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so when you when you when you can take from one and learn, you know, the lessons learned at one are directly applicable uh-huh. to the other and you have that kind of uh synchronicity, is that mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is uh yeah. Mm-hmm. unlike me who takes an experience directly from my jobs and writes an entire yeah. novel about it or a screenplay about it. I'm just like, F harvest. those people. <laughs> Let's get this shit thing. down. Um, yeah. I don't mind throwing people under the bus. She goes into yeah. the interview and she's like, I'm a novelist and um, I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why there's now, a line in that book that says that. Okay. Yeah. In my current book, mm-hmm. there's a line that says I am recording. Um, <laughs> this has been amazing you are awesome um we want to thank you so much for being here for real and you answered this at the top of the show but i'm just going to ask you one more time Mm -hmm. was it all worth it was giving up grad well this is a new twist because you gave up grad school you gave up grad school and you're still writing and you're you are prolific and you're and it's not just that you put out mass quantities you put out you're prolific in how good you are too. I mean, it's like Thank a, it's a you. double whammy here. It's like every book is good. Um, was it all worth it? Are you happy? It was. Yeah. Even, even the awful jobs that didn't pay me regularly <laughs> it, for a writer, everything is content and it was worth those long, long nights knowing that my check was going to bounce the next day and that these DJs are never going to call because now, you know, if I don't even write about something like that, I've lived that life of being, you know, poor and exhausted and scared to go into hotel rooms with burgeoning, <laughs> you know, rap stars. I know it right. so I can write it. So yes, it was worth it. It was definitely it's so worth great. It. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I know I shouldn't, but I do because we all have that story yes. in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, we do. Well, you have the story that didn't end terribly, so that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you have anything? I was just also going to say thank you. This is, it, it was so nice to meet you and so nice to talk about you, you all the time and yes. I make them read your books. Yeah. Oh, like, no. oh, look, here, I, read this one. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm reading your book now and, and it's fantastic. I mean, I let Jamie be the hype man because she's, yeah. you know, effusive, but I I am enthralled with your work and it has just been such a delight talking to you and getting to know you and thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you for inviting me and always supporting me. And we always will. Yeah. Hey, Stick, remember that time? No. 
when Earl from your favorite show, Superstore, came on our show, Make That Paper? I thought that was a dream. No, that was Will McLaughlin. And he's next week's guest. You call me lazy. You think I'm crazy. So why'd you come around? She wants my money. But I got my money. This ain't no savings and loans.